Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Italian-American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian-Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian-Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I am your host, Anthony Fasano, and I'm really excited to talk to you about today's episode a little bit here before we get into it, which is on the topic of the Italian language. My co-host Dolores Alfieri is not here with me for the introduction, but don't worry, she is here on the interview. You'll hear her in a few seconds. I know you all miss her laugh and you'll, you will hear it shortly. But first of all, before we get into this topic of the Italian language, which I'm really passionate about, it's important to me, I want to just take a minute to thank our listeners for making my recent book launch a success. My book, 40 Days in Italy, Con la Mia Famiglia, How to Research Your Italian Roots and Travel to Italy on Your Own Terms, came out on June 13th, which was also the Feast of St. Anthony. You all made it a success. Your support was great. We did a lot of social media around it and some emails. And if you haven't seen the book yet, I put together a little video about it where I sing in Italian, actually, which you could see at ItalianAmericanStory.com. Again, that's ItalianAmericanStory.com. And my main mission and goal with this book is to help as many Italian Americans as possible go back and visit their ancestral villages, whether they have living relatives there or not, because I think that once you do that, you have a whole different perspective on where you came from. All right. So before I introduce our guest, I'd like to just offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode, Diane Hales. Diane is a widely published, award-winning freelance journalist. She has served as a contributing editor for Parade, Ladies Home Journal, Working Mother, and American Health, and has written for many national publications, including Family Circle, Fitness, Glamour, Good Housekeeping, Health, Mademoiselle, McCall's, New York Times, Psychology Today, Reader's Digest, Washington Post, and on and on and more. It's just amazing, her resume. It's really amazing when you go to her website and look at everything that she's accomplished. Her trade books include La Bella Lingua, Think Thin, Be Thin, 
just like a woman caring for the mind and Mona Lisa, a life discovered. And we'll provide links to her website in the show notes for this episode. What I want to do now to bring us into the interview is to give you a quote. And I'm going to say it both in Italian and in English. It's a quote from Thomas Edison. And the idea of this quote is... Dolores and I want to inspire you to learn Italian. That's one of the things we want to do through our episodes, and especially this episode, of course. And so this quote is related to that. First, I'm going to read it in Italian. So here it goes. Molti si lasciano sfuggire le opportunità perché sono vestite da operai e sembrano faticose. And in English, opportunity is missed by people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. So the point of that quote is that a lot of people that I talk to, they decide not to pursue Italian or they stop learning Italian because they say it's too much work. It takes too much time to learn a language. I'm never going to do it. I'm too old. They have all these different excuses that it looks so hard. And the bottom line is, is that it's not that hard to learn conversational Italian and conversational Italian in itself will open you up to the language of your ancestors, will give you the opportunity to engage with people if you ever go there, or even in your research and doing so, which is what I talk a lot about in my book. I want you to think about that and kind of dispel the myths around this idea of I'm too old, I can't do it, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, because you can do it. And in the story segment at the end, I'm going to give you some simple steps you could take immediately. And this whole episode hopefully will provide you the inspiration to start to learn this beautiful language of Italian. So now I'm going to bring Dolores back in with me here and let's jump into the interview. So Anthony, before we get into the interview, I just want to say that I've been watching some great Italian shows on Verizon Fios. I know you're always mentioning them to me. It's funny, you know, because when I was a little girl, my father always watched Italian television. It was on nonstop and he used to yell at me to watch with him. You know, he'd be like, sit here, learn Italian, learn Italian. And now that I'm older, I do watch it all the time and it really does help me to improve my Italian. I agree. It totally does. And of course, today you've got Mediaset Italia. That's right. All the best programming from Italy's top channels are put together in one channel. So there's cooking shows, drama series, movies, and it really helps you to stay connected to Italian culture in real time because they're the same shows that Italians are watching. Right now, I'm caught in this drama. It's a long serial with a couple seasons called Solo per Amore. Destini Incrociati, or For Love Alone, Cross Destinies. So if you can get into one of those shows and just watch episode after episode, it's like getting hooked onto any show you might watch, like on Netflix. You get caught up in it and you get immersed in the culture and you really get to practice learning Italian. Absolutely. I know this firsthand for myself. I mean, when you're watching these shows and you're listening to the pace of the language, it's extremely helpful to learning Italian. And right now, our listeners can get 50% off their Italian language package for six months, which features Mediaset Italia and Rai Italia. And if you're a new customer for $79.99 per month for your first year with a two-year contract, you can get 150 megabyte speed internet, custom TV, and phone. That's right. So if you're interested, you can call Verizon Fios at 1-888-755-751 to subscribe. And of course, we'll link to that number in our show notes as well. All right, let's jump into the interview. 
Now we are excited to welcome our guest for today's episode, Diane Hales. Diane is a widely published, award-winning freelance journalist and author of the New York Times bestseller, La Bella Lingua, My Love Affair with Italian, the World's Most Enchanting Language. Diane, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. I am very happy to be with you. Hi, Diane. Hi, Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> So normally we start the show by asking our listeners to tell us about their Italian-American upbringing, but I want to say to our listeners and to you, Diane, that you are actually only the second non-Italian that we've ever had on the show. We've now done 42 episodes or so, and you're only the second. So we're going to start instead by asking you to tell us, how'd you get involved with us Italians? (laughs) Well... I heard this wonderful phrase that there are born Italians and there are reborn Italians. <laughs> oh, never heard that one. I like that. <laughs> I've spoken to a lot of Italian-American groups, and I always start off by saying, how lucky you are. You were born into this. I had to acquire this word by word. <laughs> and, uh, when my book came out, and it came out in 2009, and it, it actually was, I will tell you how I got to it, but my mom died the same month, so it was a very... <gasps> highs and lows, you know, very dramatic. So we postponed the book tour for a few months. And then when I went, I took my 93-year-old dad with me. So we were in New Jersey. We were visiting people there. And then we went to a Sons of Italy banquet in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown. And we were, of course, the only non-Italian American. <laughs> and my father was the oldest person there. Every single young man came up to him and paid an homage, just expressed such respect, such love, such recognition. At that moment, every bit of work I've ever done felt worthwhile because I was just seeing really the best of your community, this wonderful embrace of my father, of everything that we've come to appreciate so much in Italian-American culture. It was actually, I got a chance to dance with my dad. <laughs> it was a wonderful So sweet. Yes. Yeah. I feel that I've been sort of adopted by the Italian-American community, and I'm very grateful. But it didn't start that way. It started with the language. I am an Italian geek. Um, <laughs> and I did not set out to be. I have had, a, as you know, from my resume, I've had a very serious career, primarily doing medical health science related journalism, writing books about mental health and pregnancy and women's health. One day I was talking to my agent and we were just thinking about what's going to be my next book. We just couldn't come up with anything. And she said, why don't you write something about Italy. You're always going to Italy. You're always talking about it. You light up when you talk about it. And I said, I can't. It's all been done. There's Uh, another word to write about Italy. And she said, but Diane, you study Italian all the time. And no one has anybody ever written a book about the language. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I went back. And the thing about Italian history and culture is it never disappoints. There is always a story. I discovered that there's no other language on earth that has been created by a poet that then was 
purified and refined and put together by a bunch of guys in Renaissance Florence who called themselves the Academy of the Brand, and that they were basically separating the wheat from the chaff. Also, I discovered that Italians, who are very different, as you know, in every region, sometimes it feels in every town, sometimes in every neighborhood, there was one thing that everyone agreed upon, and that was that they love Italian. And even if everybody has dialects and slang or whatever, but there is this great respect for the language. And part of it, I think, is that before there was in Italy, there was Italian. And that was this unifying force. I didn't have any such high-minded goals in mind when I started out. I wanted to be able to order cappuccino. My husband, <laughs> lead-free gas had just been introduced. And my husband, would, we would pull into gas stations and he would say, you have to know how to ask for lead-free gas, which is just a <laughs> to add to your vocabulary. At the time I was working full time, I had a small child. And so I studied in the most idiosyncratic way. If there were classes, I'd go to classes. If I could find a tutor, I'd go with the tutor. They didn't have as many online resources back then, but there were audio tapes and flashcards and those sorts of things. And the thing was that when you study that way, you're immersed immediately in the culture. I had one teacher, he taught it, he was from Naples, and he had moved to, I'm in Northern California, to Marin, and he would ride his bicycle up to my house in Mill Valley. And one day it rained, and he came in the house, and he was just soaked from head to tail. And he stood there like a puppy and shook himself off and said, Sono in Zupato. <laughs> an unforgettable way to to realize that that's the word you use when you dunk your biscotti in your in your cappuccino you know that he was soaking soaking wet and he used to get down on one knee and sing arias to me because he said italian is a musical language you have to hear it at its most beautiful and he would sing from bohem and my daughter would come home and there's this italian man on his knees serenading us with these wonderful songs but it also was the words there are words in Italian that just warm my heart. I, I went to an Italian class and I walked in with my little container of coffee and I was looking for the trash can. And I said, what do I do with this? And the woman said, ah, the spazzatura. And I thought, really? That's such a beautiful word for garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I read things in Italian, I would say, every day. I will stop at a word and just sigh and say, aw. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the way that you are just in love with the actual words, you know, the construction, the way Italians will take one word and add to the end of it to make it more or to make it less, to make it grander. You know, you really have a poet's ear for the language. Well, the thing is that I also, and this is something I've tried to explain this to Italians who say to me, why did you want to write a book about Italian? You're not Italian. You're, this isn't, you're not a linguist. You're, you know, why? And I have to explain that I started it with a great deal of chutzpah. And no one has been able to tell me, I don't think there's an Italian, there isn't an English equivalent for chutzpah. We say chutzpah and Italians <laughs> have a, an Italian equivalent for it. I must say that was my greatest trepidation because I thought, my goodness, how can I even attempt to appropriate another language and tell its story? And I had to do it very 
very idiosyncratically. I had to say what was my experience. I don't do this as the ultimate scholar about Italian. When the book was going through production, and it was coming out at a very bad time because it was right after the economy crashed in 2008. All of my editors were laid off. The entire house at I was at Double Day was eliminated. Wow. Yes. And so I turned to my daughter, who was in college at the time, and she said, well, we're going to have to do this, Mom. This is what social media is about. And so we took to the Internet. And again, it was 10 years ago almost, so it was much more basic. And we contacted all of the Italian departments throughout the United States. And we wrote to their graduate assistants, and we offered them like the first chapter of the book. And so we really did build this up. But my hesitation was again, with Italians, what were they going to think? And what was wonderful is that the Italians, and I had interviewed a lot of linguists and language instructors and officials in Italy, and they saw this as a compliment because this was something I didn't have to do. And I remember one of the, when I was speaking at the consul in New York, I said, you know, if an Italian wrote this book, it would still be a nice book. But there would be a sense of, oh, it's a, it's just, oh, a bit of uh, braggadocio or, right. you know, it's a little bit of, oh, the French are always uh, carrying on about their food. And so now it's just an Italian promoting the language. But for somebody who isn't and who looks at it as an outsider and then says, hey, guys, everybody, this is a story that's interesting to anyone, that it adds a certain, a different perspective. And I think the Italian-Americans were even more hesitant in the beginning, because what I discovered is that a lot of the generations, probably your parents' generation, I don't know how far back you go, but my grandparents were born here. My great-grandparents came from Poland. And my parents spoke Polish to each other, and we never learned it. And my mm. Italian friends, the same thing. They spoke Italian with their grandparents and their parents, you know, in the house, but they never learned the language. And there was this sense of you shouldn't. We don't. You're going to be American, right? We don't want you to have this burden of not having the same language as all your friends. What I found though is that there's a great many Italians have memories of their grandparents speaking Italian, and many many speak in a dialect, but hardly anybody here in America knows the story, the history of the Italian language, and the fact that it is so colorful only makes it a better story. But it was never as if I tried to oh you know say you know I could give you ingredients that would make your cacciatore sauce better. It wasn't at all like that. (laughs) It was much more like, do you know how that came to be? And did you realize that there was this scholar Boccaccio, you know, did you know that that some of the best yarns that you've ever heard in your life actually go all the way back to Boccaccio? And so it was it was just such a nice way to really come together and appreciate this beautiful language. Hmm. Well, Diane, part of the reason why we wanted to have you on the show was because you are not Italian and then you learned this entire language. And as you just said, for a lot of Italian-Americans, I mean, I would call it a problem even in the community because now we're at a phase in our assimilation into the culture where we are trying not to lose our identity as a community. And one of the easiest ways to lose your identity is to not have a language, right, that you share or that is rooted to your entire ancestry in your past. So kind of what I want to say to our listeners is if Diane can do it, (laughs) you know, certainly you can. Yeah. Learn this language that your grandparents and your great grandparents and, and on, on and on and back spoke, you know, this language that's in your blood. 
Yeah. I also think that there are so many ways. The thing is that we all remember the language courses we were required to take in high school and college, which were not fun unless you're, it depends on, but for many people, it was just, oh, God, I'm going to have to go and memorize conjugations. And I don't think you need to become so fluent that you can debate in Italian, but you can pick it up in so many ways. And RAI, for instance, I watch something on RAI almost every day. It's on the internet. It's free. And you can watch the news. They have the best. They call them fiction. They're basically soap operas kind of movies. And uh, We but just it- talked about this. We have a new sponsor. <laughs> and we were just talking about this because in the introduction, because I do the same thing. And I was just saying to our listeners, you can buy these packages. There's even videos online. And you can make watching these shows a regular part of your life the same way you do with American shows. And you learn the language. You learn how Italians speak. You get into the characters. You get into the storylines. And it's inevitable that your Italian will improve. Well, also, uh, I was watching the, the, one of my favorites is on Luisa Spagnoli, and she's the person who started the Perugina Chocolates. And so I was telling a, a Roman friend that you couldn't watch it in this country, but I was able to watch it when I was there. And he said, oh, my God, and you, and you could follow it. And I said, it's not Shakespeare. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's really just from trying to learn Italian myself the last few years, That's what's going to help you actually learn the language. I mean, I think that's one of the the challenges in America is that a lot of in schools, a lot of people do textbook work, which is a good foundation. But until you hear the language on a regular basis, it's really hard to actually communicate back and forth as opposed to just being able to read and write the language. And I think that that's why watching and like Diane said earlier, the idea of listening and singing the language is also like that. I mean, that's how I learned. I actually did a a post on our website where I was singing Italian and I think it was one of our most popular posts as far as comments. Very brave of him. And I think, I think because like Diane said, first of all, it's a beautiful language and it, you know, the songs are beautiful, but also if you're actually having to sing these words at faster paces, it's just going to help you to put the language together. And that's why I just want to get across to our listeners. You need to listen, you need to watch, and you need to talk and sing as much as you can, as opposed to just doing the textbook work. Yes. And also there are so many things now available on Facebook, I have a Labella Lingua group. And so, as you might imagine, it attracts people who are studying Italian. And people are always sharing, you know, well, you know, I just went and I took a week in Luca, and now I'm back in Nebraska and there's nobody to speak Italian with. And people write in and now you can, you can get a buddy sort of in Italy and, and do Skype. Skype and FaceTime are wonderful. Right. And, and so I would just say, go online and just look up, you know, say, I want to study Italian, you know, and just uh, people will, uh, there's Duolingo and there's a lot of things that are sort of learning programs that you could do it yourself. But I think some of the best ones are those, some of them have like a little video and then they ask questions, but there's so many ways. And I think that since we all learn differently, that it's good to just experiment. The other thing that's interesting is here in Northern California, there's been an influx of so many young Italians who come to work in Silicon Valley and they brought their families here. And so we have Italians of all ages. And there was a school that was set up. Initially, it was a preschool. Then it grew into a preschool and a kindergarten. And now it goes 
I think, from preschool all the way to 12th grade. And it's become very popular for non-Italians, too, because a lot of people like the idea of their children having a bilingual education. But what's also happened everywhere I've gone in the country, more so than any other ethnic group that I can think of, but there's uh, Italian movie nights at different places and uh, at the consulate. And I think it's 13 cities in the United States. There are these Italian cultural centers, and they have such rich programs. The other thing that I'd mention is that Italian cooking classes are so popular here in the Bay Area. I'm sure they are in the New York area. And the thing is that you, again, you pick up foods because you're going, you're shopping for Italian ingredients. You learn how to say the words for boil and fry and for different types of pasta. If you're a history buff, you can probably find something related at a local university. So it's not as if you have to think I have to go and I have to immerse myself in grammar. You know, Give me a break. At the end of the day, I'm going to go and work through the, the congiuntivo. You can do it on your own at home. You can find groups to do it with. And I think that it's a way of connecting. I think for Italian-Americans, often people will say to me that it seemed to activate something in their brain that it was intuitive. And they seem to always have better accents, like natural accents than, say, I do or people who've never been exposed to it. So I don't know if a language carries in the blood, but I do think that in probably somewhere within our brain, there's something that's programmed. Yeah, you don't have to think about, oh my God, I'll have to take tests, I'll be graded. There are just so many ways to learn Italian that are sheer fun. And I think that then when you go to Italy, it so enhances that experience that it just becomes very reinforcing. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's what happened for me just a few years ago when I found living relatives in Italy. I planned a trip there and you know, I knew that the experience would be totally different if I was able to learn Italian before I went. And so I did quite a few things that helped me to do it. A lot of things that we're talking about right now, there's free podcasts and websites and we can link to some resources. But really, you're right, Diane, in that your whole experience in Italy is transformed if you just know a little language or, you know, the more you know, the better. And yeah, and the Italians are very kind when it comes to trying to help you with the language if you're making an effort. I found that all over Italy to be the case. Diane, so you mentioned that you and your agent were brainstorming about your next book, which is how you came up with this idea. Interested in Italy, excited about Italy. Maybe you could take us back a little bit further. Like, What made you interested in Italy? Was it a trip that you took or something to get your interest in, in Italian and Italian living? Well, um, back in uh, when I was just starting my career and I wrote a book on sleep, just a, a consumer book, and I had already started doing a health textbook. And so I wrote this book called The Book of Sleep, and I was contacted by DuPont, which had a new pillow fiber coming out, and they were introducing this pillow fiber in Gstaad, Switzerland. And this has only happened once in my life. Where, where <laughs> <laughs> and this was it. DuPont said, could we fly you to Gstaad to come and talk about our pillow fiber and give us a talk on sleep? Uh, yes, it took me about two seconds to say yes. And so I went and I was planning this whole trip around Switzerland. And it was lovely people. Switzerland's very nice, but it was cold and pretty dreary. Truly on a whim, I got on a train to Italy. 
and it had always been in the back of my mind that I would like, you know, I'd like to go to Italy, but it was one of those, you know, someday I'll go. So I landed in Italy and unfortunately my suitcase did not because it was left at the border. I tell the story in, in my book that I just was panic stricken because I could see the suitcase standing there and the train was pulling out and I just kept going around. I couldn't under- explain what was going on. And the conductor came up to me and he said, domani mattina, domani mattina a Milano. And I didn't know what that meant. I just thought there's somebody, it must be a guy named Domani and I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to Milan. I wasn't even planning on staying in Milan, but there I was with no luggage. And I go through this mammoth Mussolini era station and I go up to people saying, ah, Signor Domani Martina. Finally, <laughs> some kind soul says to me, Domani Martina, good morning, tomorrow morning. And I realized that they were saying, I have to come back tomorrow morning and retrieve my suitcase. <laughs> From that very humbling experience. <laughs> I just sort of was journeying by the truly the seat of my pants. And this was before you could make all of these online and you know, use your phone to get around. And I was so at one point thrilled. I just loved everything. I just had never seen a place that I'd never, there were so many like sites I'd never seen, foods I'd never eaten, um, places I'd never been. And yet I was so frustrating because I couldn't communicate and people were incredibly friendly to me and would come up and chat. And so I learned one sentence, which was how to say, I'm sorry, I don't speak Italian, but I left from that trip saying, I'm going to learn some Italian because I want to come back here and not just be there like, you know, a kid with the nose against the window watching all this go by. I want to be part of this. I want to be able to respond. And so that's when I started my studies and truly trying to fit it in. I think I, my daughter was certainly preschool age. So it was sort of fitting things in wherever I could, a class here, a conversation there, a movie, just whatever I could put together. And then as time went by, I started getting more organized, you know, and sort of realizing, okay, now is the time to really start taking some more formal lessons. When my agent was the one who said, what about the story of Italian? And that's when I realized that I would have to not only take my Italian to a different level, but I would have to learn the history of Italian, which is not something that I don't even know if it's taught very much in Italian departments here. Before I even had a book contract, I found out that the Uffizi was doing a special exposition, a show on the history of the Italian language. And so I went to Florence and I studied with the docent who for that show as a tutorial. So every day I would go to this old, of course it was Florence, it was this wonderful old monastery and you'd go through all the back streets and there were frescoes and there was a chapel and choirs would sing. And she taught me, she would bring out these documents, like some of the very first manuscripts. One of them was a deed for a property and it's called the Placito di Capua. And it's just now been recognized with a pillar. I wrote a blog about it. It was from the year 960. And it was the first time that a language that was not Latin, it wasn't yet Italian, had ever appeared in print. Then we went through Dante and I just like instinctively disliked Dante. I just thought, oh my God, Dante. I never, I was an English major. I remember that we were supposed to read it, but I just bogged down, didn't read it. And my teacher brought in comic books because in Italy, that's often how they introduced Dante to little children in grade school. And so in Italian, you can get comic books of the Divine Comedy and it's wonderful. 
So that's another great way to learn Italian. They have terrific comic books. They're adventure comic books. My favorite, they're old now, is called Diabolique. And it's about kind of this detective and a master criminal. And so anyway, I learned. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yes. But but anyway, that's how I first read the Divine Comedy in comic book form. But it accomplished its purpose. I wanted to go and I went back, of course, and I read it in translation. And then I through another, you know how Italy is, you meet somebody who meets somebody and meet somebody. So I was interviewing somebody who's a professor of Italian, but he also has this passion for cinema. And he said, oh, Diane, you really have to interview Roberto Benini because he's doing so much for our language. He's doing these wonderful presentations of Dante. So I gave him my number and I thought, sure, sure. So my husband and I are walking in Rome one evening and the phone rings and we have one friend in Rome who's supposed to call us and his name is Roberto. So the little phone rings and I says, oh, I'm sure it's Roberto. And I pick it up and I say, ciao Roberto. And this book goes, Diana, how smart you are. How did you know my name? And I realized it was not my friend Roberto. It was Roberto Benini. And he said, Diana, I hear you love my language. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I got to go and hear Roberto Benini read part of the Divine Comedy. It was just, uh, it was Canto Five about Paolo and Francesca. For one thing, he does stand up for the first part of the show. I did not understand the word. It was all political jokes. It was all insider. I just thought, oh my God, what am I doing here? I was the only American I could see in the crowd. And so then he, he finally kind of just got serious and he started doing his reading and his commentary. And at the end of the show, Everyone was in tears. And there were grandmothers next to me. There were young couples. It is so moving, so tremendous. So this is my, again, it was just such a, it's not your typical way of learning Italian, but I think it testifies to the fact that there are so many ways to learn it. And if you find the right path, it's just going to keep you going forward because you're enjoying it so much. Hmm. You know, Diane, one thing I really admire about you is it comes through in your book and it comes through in just speaking with you right now is that you're very lighthearted about the whole process. And you seem to maybe not take yourself too seriously, like the whole story about, you know, thinking Domani Mattina was somebody <laughs> instead of direction, you know, like you laugh about it and you tell the story. And Something that I have experienced personally, but also just in speaking to so many people and knowing so many Italian-Americans is kind of behind the scenes in our culture. There's kind of there's various branches, but I'll just distill them. There are a lot of younger people who do speak their their dialects fluently. And maybe if they're fortunate, they even speak proper Italian fluently. And then there's some people and this was my experience where I do understand both very well, fluently. But I went through a period when I was younger where I became kind of embarrassed and not so much even ironically by the outside community, but in my own community, I think it morphed from being like a cute little girl who spoke this Don dialect to you realize people were laughing and you didn't realize they were laughing maybe because you were cute. You just kind of clam up and you say, well, I'll never speak this language as well as the people I live around, right, who grew up there. So you kind of give up and just say, I'll just stick to English. I know that very well. And I think for me, I'm much better these days at it, but I I took myself very seriously and it was almost painful to Uh realize that I, I couldn't just speak it fluently. Yes. So I really admire that about you. And I think one thing you said before in telling your story is that when you 
first got to Italy, you said you didn't want to anymore be kind of looking with your nose pressed against the window, right? You said, I want to be a part of this. So what I'm trying to pull together here is that I think those two things so go together for you, but especially for people in the community. You need to know the language, right, to be a part of it. And you need to not take yourself so seriously or find a way to break down that barrier of, I don't know, shame, embarrassment, and learn it. Yes. Now, I have spent a great deal of my life trying to teach my husband maybe 10 Italian phrases. (laughs) And uh, and his background is British and Scandinavian. And he's a doctor. I mean, so he's certainly uh, capable of learning. There are a few phrases that I taught him, but the first one was, my wife's always right. (laughs) So And he would drop it into conversations and Italians would just stop and say, you're right. Yes, yes, of course. What a smart thing. Of, you know, it's, it's a lot. And since he's a psychiatrist, he nods very well. And with his combination, and I think he now, we've been to Italy a lot, he understands a lot, but he really has his phrases and he nods a lot. And I have come into rooms where there is someone sobbing and pouring out her life story to my husband and then turning to me, oh, Senora, someday you may speak as well as he does. And... <laughs> And also, he's the first man who ever understood me. So then (laughs) this friend of ours left and my husband turned to me and said, what did she say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think there's this goodwill of heart and you don't have to learn the whole language. But for one thing, if you expose yourself to it, you start understanding it. You know, for one thing that's so great about Italian hand gestures is that you can pretty much figure out if somebody's angry or they're confused or they're frustrated with you. You know, you look at their hands and they're telling you that wherever you are in your knowledge of Italian and in your fluency. And there's a, I think there is this terrible stage you go through where I was much more casual and just opened my mouth and spoke. And then I learned enough to hear my mistakes. And that's when you start climbing up. Mm, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Like, God, I know enough to know what I don't know. I met this wonderful woman in Florence who said, oh, Diana, you have to be more disinvolved. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, right now you're all wrapped up like a tortellini. You have to be loose like lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true. If you start to think too much, it doesn't come out. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, because you're you're too tight. You're too wound up. You have to kind of relax as if you've had a glass of wine and just let it roll off your you tongue. you got to get the vino flowing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm working on a new book. And so I was in Sicily for Holy Week. And I was going to these religious festivals. And needless to say, there aren't many English-speaking people who go to these events. They're tremendously moving, very beautiful. I was so caught up in them. And you know, I would ask questions of the people next to me and these little old women who had been to 50 of them. I was to the, this 24-hour marathon parade on Good Friday in Trapani. And she was telling me the whole story. And I thought, oh my God, I've reached the point where I'm not even sure when I open my mouth what's going to come out. Is it going to be English? Is Because it, it didn't matter. We were just trying to express our feelings in this intense experience. And the topic of my book, the book is called La Passione, and it's basically about how Italian passions transformed Western civilization. Got to work on that title. But anyway, the, uh, it's a big it's, subject. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Interesting. And it's wonderful because it's sort of like the language book, but on steroids because it goes into <laughs> and then it goes into music and, and, and these different things. And I have been so 
again, just so impressed. And the language, though, what it's allowed me to do is, again, to stop being at the window, looking at somebody, for instance, weaving on one of these Renaissance looms that you can see, and to go and stand next to her and have her explain you know, what, is, what she's doing and why she's doing it and how she feels the, her grandmother when she does it. And you never know where the language is going to lead you. But one of the things that I was told very early on is don't look at fluency as your goal. Think of the language as a gate. It's going to open up to whatever you want to find on the other side. So I think that's another way to sort of overcome that hesitancy about, but I don't speak perfect, you know, just the idea of look where it's leading me. Mm. Mm. It's kind of like being in the present moment as opposed to thinking where you're going to be down the road because yeah. it's the pressure off. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. It's a good approach. So, Diane, you've obviously written a ton in your career. <laughs> you know, it, I read through your website. It talks a lot about how since you were young, you, that's what you wanted to do was for your career was to write. And you've done it. You've written thousands of articles for publications. You've had books published. But it's pretty obvious, and you even say it on your website, that this book, La Bella Lingua, has had the most impact on you. And what do you think the reason for that is? Well, part of it is the impact it's had on others. Since I've spent almost 30 years of my life writing a college health textbook, and I really hope that some of the kids read it, (laughs) but I have gotten such wonderful feedback from readers, many of them Italian-Americans. These are people who have taken it to heart. I got this one note from a woman who said that she had an elderly brother, and he was now in his 90s. They had come from Naples, and he never really mastered English, and so she has been reading it to him every day, sort of translating it as she goes. He's just gotten this tremendous kick out of it. And I heard from some nuns, they weren't Italian, they were going to work in Italy, and they were reading the book because they wanted to prepare for going to Italy. And then when I was in Trapani, and Trapani is a little port in Sicily, it's only famous for that one day a year. And I was staying at sort of a bed and breakfast, and I was chatting with the woman who runs things, and she was telling me about the parade and her father. And so I gave her my card, and it has a picture of the cover of La Bella Lingua. And she said, oh my God, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And she said, oh, I bought this book for my boyfriend, because her boyfriend is British, I think, for a Christmas present. And so it's just been such a kick. And I've had numerous people who come to my readings and they say, because of you, I did go back and look for my family because I thought, oh, you know, I, I can manage. I can learn enough Italian. A lot of people said that it inspired them to do things like translate their grandmother's recipes, go back and translate some old letters that they had found. Also to appreciate Italy in a different way. I mentioned a vineyard in in Umbria that's in Prenzone. And he said, people show up with my book and they said, oh, well, we want to come here because we read about it. And it's just another way. There's so many ways to appreciate Italy. But the language has been such a lovely way to connect. And when you think about it, this is what do we do as human beings that sets us apart? We speak, we communicate. And when you can do it in Italian, it's not just communication. It really is connection. Hmm. I think that Italian really is a language where the language is very expressive of culture. Yes. 
English has so many more words than Italian. And yet that's because we've taken so many languages and we've incorporated so much. So we have this sort of mongrel language. We read Shakespeare and we read Dickens and Fitzgerald and we say, oh, these were wonderful writers and we appreciate them as writers. But I don't really hear many people who say, my God, English. <laughs> you know, don't you? Yes. Yeah, it's true. Can't mm. get enough of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the other thing that I I really appreciate about Italians and Italian-Americans is that they are willing to share. There isn't this sense of it's our culture, let's build a wall around it and keep it for ourselves. I've read and I've talked to people who studied, say, cooking in France, and they felt they never penetrated that wall. That you know, this is our French cooking. You can learn what you will. It'll never be as good. This is our cooking. Whereas with Italians, if you've been in an Italian kitchen, there isn't somebody saying, don't look. I'm, you know, this is my recipe. Right. You know, there's somebody saying, come on, try it, have this, you know. So it's this wonderful right. openness that I think enriches everyone. Hmm, that's great. In that instance, someone would be proud if you managed to try their recipe. You know, they're like, yeah, go ahead. Give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're right. But I do applaud that willingness to uh, and maybe it comes from this sense of not being defensive in the sense of, yes, you know, our cooking is good. Yes, our wine is good. Come try it. Yes, we know this is good art. Diane, before we wrap up here, I did want to ask you, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure if this is your forte, but there is a difference between Italian and a lot of the dialects that we grew up with here as Italian-Americans. Many of us, the vast majority of us, come from the south of Italy. And for many, many years, up until fairly recently, the south of Italy spoke their dialects, mainly. So we talk on the show, you know, I, I would love for everyone from the same regions where I'm from in Campania to learn the dialect, but it's not as easy these days to learn that dialect the way you can learn Italian, proper Italian. Certainly learning proper Italian is better than not knowing either. Mm-hmm. So but I just wanted to see if you had any comment as to your experience with those two things. Someone said that the most frustrating part is when you, you feel like you really made some headway in Italian and then you go to somewhere in, you know, whether it's Naples or Bari or whatever, or certainly in Sicily, and you speak your nice Italian and people understand you, but they reply in, in a language that you really can't understand. And it's... <laughs> You go to the market and even things like watermelon have different names in different places. For the student of Italian, I think the dialects are almost too much of a challenge if you're just studying it as a non-Italian American. But to know your home dialect, I think that that only adds to the richness. When I've interviewed these grand professors of Italian and they're members of La Cusca, they teach, you know, La Sapienza. And then when I've been with them socially, when they speak, I can see the sentences diagrammed in my head. They're so beautifully put together as they speak in Italian. And then all of a sudden, they'll slip in a word. And I realize they're going back to their dialect. And it's because there's something in those dialect words that doesn't even translate into Italian. And I've also been told that someone translated Shakespeare in the Italian into Venetian because Mm. he didn't feel that the Italian was adequate. I don't know how you learn those dialects. So I think there are programs available for, say, Siciliano, but I don't know about the more local ones. I just think, wow, if you could tap into that and understand that meaning and then communicate it, that would be wonderful. But I do think it's an admirable goal. I don't know just how 
even practical it is. Yeah. I'm sure there are books written in dialect. And even just to learn a few phrases or to pick up the story, what I find is that if you just find the stories behind the words, there's in Naples, the word for pizza maker is monsoon. I'm not sure how to pronounce it in Neapolitan, but it comes from the fact that at the time it was a French court and it's a variation on monsieur. And so, you know, yeah. like, you know, these, the, the stories of the words sometimes help you connect to. Yeah, definitely. And it is a challenge too with the dialects because even in some of the regions in Italy now, or a lot of them actually, from what I've read, they're not even teaching the dialect to the younger kids anymore. So it's just becoming more and more challenging. But I think being around your family and speaking it like Dolores gets to on a regular basis is the best way to pick up these phrases and try to carry it on the best you can. But yeah, well, Diane, you gave us a lot of time. We thank you. I guess one last thing as we wrap up here, if our listeners are just, they want to get started, they want to start to learn Italian, what would you recommend that maybe some of the first things that they do just to get started as we wrap up? Well, I think they should get my book. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, it's a good entry point. Yeah, absolutely. I assume everybody these days has access to the internet. And I would just Google learning Italian. Go to these. There's a site from the Italian government called U.S. Speaks Italian. And they just have these simple lessons. There's also a man I absolutely love. He's Italian. He lives in Australia. His name is Manu, short for Manuele. And it's called Italy Made Easy. And he's a kick. He's a bloke. He's an Australian who's Italian. So he has put together so many videos. They're all free. I mean, you can also sign up for classes. I haven't looked at the beginner ones, but for advanced speakers, it's very hard to find things that are advanced level online. They're intermediate advanced. He does conversations where he talks with his friends. They use some dialect, but they mainly use slang. And then he does explanations. So there'll be like a 20 minute conversation. And then there'll be four explainer lessons where he takes takes them apart and says, okay, here's where we use this phrase and this is how it's used. You might check it out too. He's a kick. It's free. It's online. And it's a really painless way to start. Terrific. That's great. Well, Diane Hales, thank you for joining us on the Italian American podcast. We will link to Diane's book. The website is becomingitalian.com where you can read all about La Bella Lingua, but we'll provide all the links for you. Diane, thanks so much. Oh, it really was fun. Thank you. It is now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. In today's segment, I'm actually going to give you some tips for starting to learn Italian, this wonderful language that we've spent the earlier part of this episode talking about with Diane. I'm also going to give you a great resource to try to help you. My book, 40 Days in Italy, Con la Mia Familia, recently came out, and I thank the many of you that have sent in nice notes about the book. And part of that book in which I, step by step, I lay out how I found my relatives in Italy, how I learned Italian and then planned a trip and visited them for the summer. Obviously, I want to help other Italian Americans do that. But what I'm getting in the feedback from people about the book is that they love the part on Italian and some of the resources and stuff that I talk about in the book, they're going to start to use. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and give some other resources in this part of the episode today. And I'm going to give you actually five tips specifically, which I just read recently from a great 
website for learning Italian, which is learnitalianwithlucretia.org. It's a website that I use often. She's got great videos on her website that I watch all the time. She has a YouTube channel and she explains phrases and tries to make it easier for you to learn. So I will link to that. And she doesn't even know that I'm talking about her article. I should probably let her know, but it's not a sponsorship. It's not a paid plug or anything. This is just something that I found to be really, really helpful. So I wanted to share it with you. And I want to walk through the five tips that she gave in her most recent article in June of 2017. And Lucretia's first tip is to plan ahead. So if you know you're going to Italy, you need to take some time well beforehand to sit down and obviously focus on learning Italian and also focus on a schedule of how you can practice and how you're going to do it as opposed to just winging it. What Lucretia says is you can't expect to reach what she calls an A1 level in a week or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. She's saying just shoot for conversational, simple expressions to help you navigate your trip, talk with some of the native speakers. Don't try to overdo it, especially if you're only trying to prepare within a few months. It's just going to be too much. And don't try to dig into all of the details of the language, like all the different tenses. Do what you have to do to have a good trip. You want to be able to order coffee at a bar, Lucretia says. You want to be able to order things or ask for some simple directions. You don't have to worry about the different tenses and the past tense and all these other things. All right, so plan ahead. Keep it simple. Tip number two, take your time. Even though you might not have a ton of time, if you only have one month, which is the example that Lucretia uses in her article, take things kind of easy and try to learn something every single day. She emphasizes again that overdoing it is a mistake. Because your brain just can't take in all of that information, especially with grammar. So just take one topic at a time, work on it a little bit, day by day, and that's how you're going to learn enough to become conversational for your trip. Tip number three, don't stress about it. Remember the whole point that you're trying to learn some Italian is because you want to enjoy your trip. Like I did, I wanted to maximize my trip and my time with my relatives. So the learning process should be something fun. And Lucretia says in this article specifically, try to use creative learning techniques like listening to Italian music. Now, I will give you a little bit of my own advice here. And if you read my book or if you watch some of the videos on our site, specifically ItalianAmericanExperience.com forward slash sing, where I literally sing in Italian, which got a lot of shares, thankfully, because I was nervous about doing it. But singing, not only is it fun to do, even if you're a terrible singer, but you're really, really practicing the sounds of the language in a fun way. And, you can, and it's easy to keep repeating it over and over when you're walking in the car. It's just a simple, simple way to do it. You even see in the video from my new book, ItalianAmericanStory.com, I start singing. I start with singing and I end with singing in Italian. It's something that I love to do. It's easy to do and it's really helping you. It's a creative learning technique. So that's Lucretia's third tip and I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with her. Number four, keep track of what you learn. This is a great one and I did this myself as well. You're committed to learning maybe a little each day. Open up some kind of a document I used Evernote, the program, and I would put in there each day what I learned, whether it was a couple of phrases or a saying, whatever I happened to be focusing on for that day. And then day after day, it would add up and I'd have this document. And then whenever I had extra time, especially on the plane ride to Italy, you have an eight, nine hour trip or wherever you're coming from, you can review all of this stuff. It's like you're able to run through all the stuff you learned and it makes it really easy and it really helps you to maximize your own time. 
Because if you're just somewhere and you're sitting in line or something, you could pull up your Evernote note with all your lessons in it and go right through it. So that's a great one. And then her fifth and final tip is to enjoy it. Enjoy the moment. Once you are in Italy, enjoy your interaction with native speakers in Italian. And you did a lot of work on it. Just try to use it. And I think that the key there from my own experience traveling back to Italy and finding the relatives is just to stay calm and try to be as confident as possible. I noticed for me, I definitely lacked confidence in the beginning of my trip. But then once I started talking a little bit, using some of the phrases and people were like, oh yeah, I understand you. They were just nice because I was making an effort and I just got more and more comfortable. And I just spoke more and more. So just have fun when you're there. Enjoy it. Know that they're not going to make fun of you. They're not going to laugh at you. They want to help you if you're having trouble with their language, but they know you're at least trying it. So quick recap, plan ahead, come up with some kind of a schedule, figure out how you're going to learn. Number two, take your time a little bit each day. Don't try to cram because your brain won't handle it. Number three, don't stress about it. Have fun, sing, listen to Italian music, do things that are fun. You could play games with your kids. I sang lullabies to my kids in Italian. Number four, keep track of what you learn so you have that like master document that you can review from time to time. And then number five, enjoy the moment. Just have fun when you're there and be as confident as you can, which will come by just practicing and using it with the natives. That's just a big part of learning anything really, especially when it comes to languages. And there's more information on my book and different resources with a download if you check out the book, which again is at italianamericanstory.com. And it's really, I thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for all the support with the book. The whole point of my book and the mission with the book is to get as many Italian Americans as possible to go back to their ancestral villages in Italy, whether they have relatives there or not. And I'm hoping you do that and we'd love to hear about it. And if you do purchase the book on the inside, there's a special companion website URL that when you go there, you can leave questions, comments for me, and I'll be communicating with the readers as well to try to help them along. I hope you enjoyed the episode today focused on this beautiful language of Italian. We really enjoyed talking to Diane and I really enjoyed doing the end segment with the five tips because I'm just passionate about inspiring people to learn Italian because it's just another way to dig into your heritage. Remember, you can always reach out to us directly. You can email me at anthony at italianamericanexperience.com or Dolores at Dolores at ItalianAmericanExperience.com. We're always open to suggestions, recommendations, questions, just to continue to improve the show. And definitely connect with us on social media, which you can do on Facebook at The Italian American Podcast, Twitter at ItalAmerican, and on Instagram at ItalianAmerican. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.